Well, back a few weeks ago, uh, the plan was to have Samuel part one and Samuel part two. And I started reading about all the stuff that had to do with Samuel after we'd done Samuel part one, and I, I, I quickly came to the realization, I don't know what you were thinking, Conley, when you thought you could do Samuel in two. Right now, the plan is to do David in two also, and I'm, you know, I, I, I've got to go back to the drawing board. But this is Samuel part three in part because um, two parts wasn't enough. And even with part three, we've got a lot of ground to cover, but there's some, some really helpful principles when you look at what's happening in the history of Israel. Um, what I found as I worked through this, and as, as we fly through this tonight, I think what you're going to see is how relevant, how up-to-date, how much this fits the world that we live in. And that's what I love about the Scriptures. There's a timeless quality to them that makes them always applicable. So, we, we saw Samuel part one where he hears the call of God, he responds to that, and God uses him even from childhood. Uh, to bring the Word of God to the people of Israel. We saw uh, in Samuel part 2, we saw the return to the Lord, a great revival that God sent and blessing that God sent on the nation through Samuel's leadership. But now we're going to come to a point where Samuel is old and uh, his sons have taken over the family business, so to speak, and things aren't going that well, and we see the demand for a king. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel uh, 8 and 1 Samuel 12, parts of those as we look at, at this theme. So the first thing that we're going to see in this part of Samuel's life is really disappointing leadership. We read about it in 1 Samuel 8, beginning in verse 1, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. And verse 2 tells us the name of his firstborn son was Joel, the name of the second was Abijah, they were judges in Beersheba, and yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So they decided they were going to make uh, the judgeship a way of making more money, and that perverted their judgment where they weren't really doing what they ought to be doing. Now, what's interesting about this is that unlike the case of Eli, remember Eli raised Samuel as a boy, but Eli's sons were very wicked. Unlike with Eli, in which God held Eli accountable for failing to remove his blasphemous, wicked sons from their priestly office, we have no record of God charging Samuel with neglect or wrongdoing regarding his sons. You know, sometimes we think that if a parent is godly and he does um, all that he or she uh, should do with rearing his children, that, that his children won't fail to turn out to be godly too. Well, real life and biblical history uh, turn out to show us something different. Good parents can have wayward children, and good parents can have good children. And nor is it the case if parents are evil, the children have no hope of being godly. Bad parents have good children as well as bad. So you have every possible kind of outcome. You know, we serve the Lord as parents trying to rear our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but but the Lord's work in their life is the Lord's work, and, and what they do with it is their responsibility. Every combination is possible. We each answer for our own behavior. Most parents who have godly children will freely confess to you that it was by God's grace that their children are the way they are. 
uh, because they know that made me plenty of mistakes. In fact, here's what most parents find out. They find out they knew everything about parenting and still they started doing it. And then they, they came across questions they never thought to ask, and the children were just, they were so good at finding the seam between what, where you know what to do and where you don't know what to do. Um, and, and so we all need God's grace as we try to serve the Lord. But this text is actually less about Samuel's parenting than about the reality that human leadership is finite, it's limited, and, and it's often disappointing. I think sometimes we expect, you know, if somebody's a leader, um, actually we've been disappointed so much now that, that we're very cynical about leadership. But the cynicism comes from a false expectation about leadership, that, that somehow leaders are, are going to be this amazing, infinite good uh, for a community or society. Um, Samuel is a great man. There's no question about it. He served God faithfully from his childhood and throughout his entire life. I mean, if you want to have a role model, Samuel's your guy. I mean, he's a child serving God, he's an old man serving God, and he's serving God in between. I think that, that, if that's your legacy, that's an awesome legacy. But Samuel has grown old, and Samuel will eventually die. All human beings do. So it's really important that you don't put your ultimate faith even in good human leaders. They are flawed, and they are mortal. Your trust has to be in someone greater than just human leaders. You know, other than the God-man, Jesus Christ, every human being will fail you in some way or another. Well, because of this problem... They get out their superglue, and they get out their band-aids, and they decide that the fix they need is a king. Disloyal desire. In 1 Samuel 8, verses 4 through 9, uh, we read, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in, their, in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day that I brought them out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. I think it's really important for us to understand that the request for a king was not wrong in and of itself. God had anticipated that this time would come. And you remember that over and over in the book of Judges, we heard this statement that there was no king in Israel, but every man did what was right in his own eyes. I remember years ago, there was a guy that thought that was a good thing. You know, he was, he was like no authority kind of guy. And everybody doing right in their own eyes is going to be a good thing. He didn't quite understand how all of us are sinners, and when we all do what's right in our own eyes, we all end up doing wrong, okay? And, and the point of judges is there needed to be that central leadership in leading people to do right. Um, there were heroes, leaders off and on, and the judges, but much of that era was a mess. And what we saw is it got worse and worse as time went on. And, 
And actually, the reason for all the problems is the same reason that the motivation behind this demand is wrong. God said they've rejected me. Now, let me take you back to what Deuteronomy 17 says, because I told you God anticipated a king, uh, that they would want a king. He says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, this is verse 14 of Deuteronomy 17, and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as your king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Notice God is giving parameters for this. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Exactly what happened to Solomon. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. So the scriptures approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing in them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. In other words, God has said, yeah, you can have a king, but it's really important that you have a king that's actually following me, listening to me, and carrying out what, what God, the ultimate king, wants. Samuel feels rejected. He feels unappreciated. And I'm sure he was disappointed in his son's performance as well. But the problem is actually deeper than that. God's words to Samuel indicate that at the base of this request is a rejection of God, and that it reflects a long-standing disloyalty to them that, that was nursed by their idolatrous hearts. All along the way, while God is doing great things for Israel, there are those that in their hearts were worshiping false gods that they had known about in Egypt, or false gods they had learned along the way in the wilderness, or false gods from Canaan. There was an idolatrous heart behind their demand, and that's what made the demand disloyal and wrong. We tend to think we will solve our problems by coming up with a better strategy, a different form of government, a new set of leaders. But our problems as members of a sinful human race are deeper than that. Rearranging the furniture won't solve foundation problems. A Band-Aid won't cure Cancer and superglue can't put a whole house back together again. Every election year, and we're about to go into one, so, you know, buckle up. Every election year, we're tempted to place too much hope in change that is too shallow to actually fix what's wrong with our nation. It's fine and good to take part in civic privileges and duties but it's not enough. Our community, our country, and our world need more than that. They need what only God can do. And God might, God might lead you in order to do good to the community in the name of Christ. God might lead you uh, to be part of some part of the political process, to serve in some kind of public service. 
but recognize that as you serve in, in that realm, and you want to be faithful in what you're called to do, but ultimately, your being there is an opportunity for you to, to actually show people who Jesus is, to, to show people the, the real fix that they need. Because no matter how good you are at your job, no matter how much you, you marshal together, we marshal together things politically or, or other ways, and there, and there are places for that, we know that the fix has to be more than that. Now, look, we understand this about other realms of work, right? We understand that if we're, um, if we're in construction, that just building more houses is not going to fix our community. We understand that we're a teacher, that just teaching more kids is not going to fix our community. We understand that if we're a pastor, that just preaching more sermons is not going to fit. We, we need God to actually do a work in the hearts of people. And, and the work that we do is connected to that. But it's not the fix itself. God is the fix. And we want what we do to reflect who he is and to honor him. Uh, but we want to look to the real source of the solutions in our life. And so Samuel, then God tells Samuel to, to really help the people be realistic about what they're, they're asking for. And so we see a sober realism. God said in verse 9 of 1 Samuel 80, it said, now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And what Samuel's going to describe is not a bad king, but just a normal king. Just, just what it takes if you're going to have a king. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who are asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and, and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. And the theme that you keep hearing is he will take. You say, well, yeah, that was a bad king. He's taking. Well, what, how, where else is he going to get this stuff? Like, where is it going to come from? I mean, you put a man in position, it's not like he just grows these things. You know, he coughs and out come a thousand horses or something. Uh, he's he's got to come from somewhere. There's a price tag for every form of human government. The power and the operations of government require the goods and services of a government. In any form of government that you choose, the New Testament commands us to pay our taxes, to render to those that are in authority dues, and, and, to, and, and to honor uh, human leaders um, who are serving, and because we understand that God's the one that placed them where they are. And and, and honestly, that's a lot easier to do in some parts of the world like ours than it is in many places in the world. 
you know, places that, that completely function on basis of bribery, um, which many, many governments function completely on that basis and, and nothing else. Lots of corruption, that kind of thing. So, so we actually, in our country, with all the problems, have it easier than many places in terms of just naturally being able to honor those. And, you know, we pray for those that are in government because God tells us to do that. First uh, Timothy 2.2, pray for kings and all that are in authority. And we do that, that we might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and, and honesty, and because God wants people everywhere to be saved. And, and we want to be able to function in society in a way that furthers the gospel. I mean, Brother Marco talked about uh, tonight the fact that they've got a lot of freedom to, to share the gospel. Um, I, I want to share the first time that we, we visited with you. It was actually the week that Dennis Pegram died. We were delayed. So, I mean, it was a, a really sad time. And, um, and Marco, uh, Gwendolyn met us, and, and I think he said it a thousand times. He, he would just burst out with, God is good, God is good, God is good. And you could, you could hear it tonight in the testimony, this, this looking to God as a good God, and, and it was really what we needed uh, for healing. The other thing that I came back from that first visit, um, at looking at how the multiplying of, of leaders and pastors and churches. And I sat, well, the pews are gone, but I sat in the front pew right here uh, on the way back, and I said, look, we have an embarrassment of riches in our community and in our church. What are we doing to reproduce ourselves? What are we doing to, to build the leaders of tomorrow? What are we doing to plant churches? What, what are we doing? And, and brother, you were one that just like got those wheels turning and and I think even as I hear it tonight, I think we can still do way better at this than that we're doing. But, but it was an encouragement, and, and I appreciate it. But, but we, we want to serve in ways that, that do good to those that are around us. We want to look at, at the situation we're in as a situation God has formed. There's no human government that is self-sustaining and self-productive. Think about it. Now, they had had a theocracy where God reigns. Only God is self-sustaining and self-productive. Ultimately, every one of us individually and all of us collectively are dependent on God. And whatever we create for ourselves, we must prop up. I mean, think about even the way that we function as church body. We, we come up with the structures to try to do this, and we want to line it up with God's Word, but... But, but we're propping that up. We're, we're trying to make it work. We need God to help us. A human king makes a weak God. And so does a president or a representative in a republic. Don't confuse what God can do with what those in public service can do. It's just, it's just not the same thing. And I think that if we can get our heads around this a little better, I think we might be less cynical than is what, it, what is common in our age. I mean, we're so cynical about leadership. But what did you expect from people that are human beings like you, that are sinners like you? What did you expect? And, and to kind of get off our high horse, like in judgment and like, you know, you're, you're bad people. Like, you know, there are bad people on both sides of the equation. And, and start realizing how badly we need God and how we need to serve God and whatever God has called us to do in a way that, that honors Him. So, 
they hear this, this sober realism, but they still want their king. So we see willful determination. You know, and sometimes a country does this. They're warned about what will happen if they go a certain route, but they go that route anyway. Right? Verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. So they didn't, they heard him, but they didn't actually listen. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. This very generation had seen the Lord fight their battles a couple decades before. A miraculous victory over the Philistines. And somehow they thought that having a human king be the one fight the battles would be better than God fighting the battles. Their hopes were idealistic. Their king would win battles only if the Lord made it possible. So they, they just determined this is what they wanted. So, in the in-between chapters, between chapter 8 and chapter uh, 12 that we're going to next, uh, God directs Samuel to Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of, there's quite a story that goes with that. Saul's eventually um, anointed king, recognized as king, and he takes over the kingship. But before he does, Samuel um, has some words, some instruction to give to Israel. And that it, they are words of unchanging accountability. You have a king now, but you're still accountable to the Lord he, he talks about the history of the nation. The Lord sent Zerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, so there's a new threat, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. For now, and now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? That's usually dry season. I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. What was Samuel trying to get across to them? Well, this, whether a judge or a king leads the nation. The nation is accountable to God. Whatever the form of government, God holds nations, their leaders, and their citizens accountable for what they do. And as the thunderstorm in dry season proved, he has absolute power to bless them 
or to destroy them. Re- really important for us, you know, to understand this. We, we, we think, seem to think that if we have the form right, that it's all going to go great. But the fact is we're all accountable. And as you read the Old Testament, what, what's really striking, it's not just Israel that God calls to account. He, he calls pagan nations to account. When, when, when leaders oppress the people, he holds those leaders accountable. When pagan nations engage in idolatry and, and genocide and whatever, he, he holds them accountable. When God's people engage in those wicked practices, he holds them accountable. Everybody answers to the Lord. And it's, it's really important that we understand this. I mean, it's appropriate that you would, you would feel like your own people, your own family, your own community, your own country, your own city, things, people that you identify with, that they're special. They ought to be special to you. But we're all accountable to God. We're accountable in Greenville, South Carolina, for what we do with the commands of God. We are accountable. We're accountable in every city of this land. We're accountable in this nation. We're accountable. The whole world is accountable before God, and Samuel wants them to remember that. The next thing that we see about Samuel is faithful intercession. You know, the people were afraid, and so they say in verse 19 of 1 Samuel 12, all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Think, think about the mercy of God here. They've done the evil. They've rebelled against God. Why would they not be afraid? Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it's pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, in some of the most beautiful verses in all the word of God, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Throughout this whole transition, we've seen Samuel deal with the hurt of it, deal with the distress of it, by turning to the Lord to talk with him about it. Did you, did you notice that? In all, the, in all these parts, he would just go talk to the Lord about it. When, when you hit those things that don't suit you and that are hurtful, you go to the Lord about it. That's the model we want to follow. The tide of affairs in our nation or the world may not be what we desire. In fact, often they're not. People may make us feel unappreciated or even endangered, but prayer is always the right response. And what's really striking about this is Samuel doesn't respond to them with with anger and with with hatred and with, you know, God, zap them. He responds by God, bless them. God, lead them. So prayer is always the right response. Pray to the God who rules over all. Pray to the God we serve for his direction. Pray even for those who mistreat us. Pray for their good. 
Pray for their repentance. Pray for their faith in God. Pray for God to be glorified, whatever they choose to do. You know, what would happen if the people of God in our community and in our nation were giving themselves to this kind of praying? Instead of spending so much time fretting or fighting fire with fire or or all the kinds of swirl of stuff you see people doing, what if they were on their knees praying? What if they were talking to God who can actually do something about it? What if they were talking to God instead? We live in a time in a culture many centuries removed from the events of this part of Israel's history. But the truths we find here are timeless. We're always going to have to deal with disappointing leadership. There'll be some, some great exceptions, but they die. They, they, they weaken. They, I mean, they're, they're mortal. They're, they're finite. We, we will see this loyal desire of people that, that want things they shouldn't want and turn away from the Lord. And, and we need to have a sober realism about the cost of that and, and really the cost of, of any kind of government we might set up. And we need to know the dangers of willful determination, just demanding what we want. Eventually, the judgment may be that God gives us what we want. But there will be unchanging accountability and, that, and there will always be a call for faithful intercession. Samuel was going to continue being a man of the word and a man of prayer. What if that was your MO? A, 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 a man or woman of the word and a man or woman of prayer. I mean, you can be a kid. You can be five years old and share the Bible with somebody. You can be a kid. You can be seven years old and be praying for people. God listens to the prayers of a child. And God's word speaks to the heart of a child. So whatever age you are, and Samuel illustrates this so well, he was a kid and now he's old and everywhere in between, he was a man of the word. He was a man of prayer, of faithful intercession. So I, I haven't heard lately really a demand for a king, although sometimes people act like they have confused what, anyway, that's form of government talk, okay? But that's not nearly so important as whether or not we're right with God and whether or not we're carrying out our duties in the face of whatever comes our way. May God help us to do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your kindness to us. And Lord, we pray that in our generation, we will be like Samuel. We'll be people of the word and people of prayer And Lord, we look to you to fix what what only you can fix, to heal what only you can heal, and to lead us in the right path.